0: Okay, I want to welcome this morning, so thankful that we can be together, at least virtually, and get into the Word together, and every time we get in the Word, as you know, God speaks. It's His Word, it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, so we are going to get in His Word that He might speak to us. And in this season that we're in, this has been a tough tough week, been very emotional, had a lot of hard discussions just in trying to understand what's going on in our nation. And so I'm thankful for you who came yesterday, or were on the Zoom yesterday for our 6.30 to 7.30 prayer time when we were praying for our nation and how we need, in my mind, and I believe in God's heart, what he's looking for is for us to seek him to pray. And when we pray, God is pleased. When we pray, his power, in a sense, is released. God wants to do things through this that we have never been praying about except he's allowed this to happen. So he's changing and transforming us, not in spite of what's going on, but because of what's going on. And I tell you, it's been a journey. It's been weary in many ways, but it's also been a time of really deepening my faith in Jesus, and I can see that in so many people. So this morning we're going to be in Genesis chapter 32, faith to face our fears. And so uh, I want you to say that five times fast. Faith to face our fears. So if you, if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, Genesis 32, I'm going to read a part of this, this chapter. We're going to take the whole chapter this morning and talk about faith to face our fears. But I hope that you have your Bibles. Genesis chapter 32, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. And we're going to skip to, to verse 24. So here we go, Genesis 32. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Now verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Verse 29. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God Face to face, and my life is preserved. J- verse thirty-one. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, in his in the muscle that shrank. So here's what's going on. I want to pray in a moment. I actually wrote out a couple prayers I'd like to pray, but here's the deal. The Lord is turning, on the, turning up the heat on Jacob. Why? Because God is bringing Jacob to the end of himself in order to bless his life. And this is exactly what God is wanting to do in our lives. And God will go to some extreme lengths in order to bless our lives. Jacob, I believe, is a powerful example of just how far, how deep God will go in doing this work in our lives. Billy Graham said this, When we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God. Isn't that fantastic? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little longer quote by Billy Graham to close our, our, our study this morning, but I love that. Well, when we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God. Now, Billy Graham's son-in-law wrote this, It's when we come to the end of ourselves that we come to the beginning of grace. He said also, to him, to focus on how I'm doing more than what Christ has done is Christian narcissism. And so Billy Graham's son writes that in order to say the same thing that his father-in-law said. When we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God. Now Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. He said this, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses it for my sake, life for my sake, will find it. Interesting. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? You see, that's not the substance of life. If he gains the whole world and loses his own soul or... What will a man give in exchange for his soul? The fact is we can give nothing in exchange. God gave it for us through his son. And so to come to the end of ourselves is to come to the beginning of God. Now Jacob had yet to embrace God's way of full blessing. Jacob was still living much of his life on his own terms and by his own schemes and his own devices. And he was very gifted and very good at figuring things out for himself now he would say something like thank you very much god looks on our hearts he sees that desire for him he sees our desire to please him he sees that desire to serve him but he also sees the fallen propensity that we have to take credit for what god is doing and what god has done and please note to take to take the glory from god alone is a mistake. That's not the fullness of blessing. So we might say, well, thank you very much. (laughs) But we can't say what I've done. Thank you very much for what you have done. So God, I love this, and you have experienced it yourself. In fact, David said, your gentleness has made me great. God gently, patiently, but very firmly, turns up the heat in our lives to consume those things that are in the way of total surrender to the life that God has for us, totally surrendering our lives into his everlasting arms. God gently and patiently works in us to will and to do of what pleases him and to God be the glory, great things he has done. And I am comforted that the eternal God knows just what degree of temperature I can bear. Paul put it this way, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation is overtaken you except such as is common to man. We all go through this. But God is faithful. Can you say amen? Amen. God is faithful who will not allow you personalize it, not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation. Notice that. With the temptation. He's not saying, I'll get rid of the temptation. He says, with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear. It. There is a door God gives to us. There is a way that we can continue to work through these things that he takes us through, even when he's turning up the heat. God is not looking to bring an end to us. He is looking to bring an end, the end of ourselves to us. Now, I'd like to pray. I, I actually wrote two prayers. These are my prayers that I thought I'd write out. So if you bow your head, let's pray a moment. Ask the Holy Spirit through these prayers. My prayer is this. Lord, do whatever it takes to bring me to the end of myself. Do not let me go until you bless me. Turn up the heat. Do whatever it takes to rid me of my fleshly life, of my strivings and pride and of my insecurities, and fill me with your life of assurance and, Peace and joy. Lord, don't let your lessons be wasted. Let me learn my lessons well. Help me to understand what you are doing and to learn from you. Keep me ever mindful of the lessons you have taught me. Don't let me forget in the darkness what you showed me in the light. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So faith to face our fears. Three areas. Number one, it's spiritual. Faith to face, face our, with our fears is, first of all, spiritual. Secondly, it's mental and it's emotional. Would you say amen to that? Amen. This is faith in operation. Third, it's very personal. That's our outline for our chapter. Number one, it's spiritual. In this case, Jacob is in God's camp. What camp are you in? It's spiritual. He there sees the angels in the angelic realm. We'll talk about that. Secondly, it's mental and emotional. Jacob is on on his own with himself. Mentally, emotionally, we'll look at that. Third, it is personal. Jacob is alone with God. Very intimate and very personal. Face to face, Peniel. So the first one here, it's spiritual. It's faith to face spiritually. The things that we're going through in this life. Jacob is in God's camp. And I'll ask it again. What camp are you in? What camp are you finding yourself in? You see, what it is is Jacob's camp is in God's camp. And so Jacob comes and here it says, he went on his way and the angels of God met him. The angels of God. Do you ever stop to think about angels? It's fantastic. There's this whole realm of spiritual beings, angelic beings. This, as I would put it, there's a very invisible, a very real, invisible spiritual dimension that's packed out with angels. I say, amen. Because what God did is he said, angels, and we'll read this in a moment. Well, Hebrews 1, verse 7, says this. It says this. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits... And his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Listen. There is an infinite chasm between angels created and the Son creator. God created these angels as ministers to us, the heirs of salvation. So Hebrews 1.13 says this. But to which of the angels did he ever say? Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation? And then we read of Jesus when he was in the dev- in the wilderness, the devil tempted him. It says, after that was all over, we read in Matthew, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. You see, in God's camp, we have the angelic host that he's given to each of us as ministering spirits to help us Along the way. But more important than that, he's given to us as believers the Holy Spirit to direct us in our ways. So it says there, Jacob saw them, the angels. I wonder if you've ever seen an angel. Hebrews tells us, be careful to entertain strangers because you don't know you might be entertaining an angel. Interesting. He says, this is God's camp, and he called the name of that place Mehenium. So that takes us back to 20 years earlier. When Jacob was coming into the land, and he dreamt, remember the story, he fell into, he dreamed, and he saw this ladder, and what we're going, the angels were ascending and descending on that ladder, which I believe is a picture of Christ, and the angels, the messengers, and the ministers there, and so maybe it's the same angels he's seeing that he saw 20 years earlier, and Jacob, by direct intervention of God, has just escaped his uncle Laban's Evil intents. We talked about that last week. Now Jacob must face his brother Esau, and he is greatly afraid, and he is greatly distressed. Lots of fear. Now, why? Remember, Jacob had unjustly stolen his brother's birthright. Jacob had fled for his life from Esau because he lied to his father and stole the blessing that was to be Esau's. So you talk about injustice a little bit. This is what's happened here between Jacob and Esau. And so the question is, now, what will happen? He's heading back now. Will they be reconciled? Will, Will Esau spare him, forgive him? So here's the interesting thing. Jacob went from the house of God, Bethel, 20 years earlier, to the face of God in Peniel. He went from being aware of God's presence to seeing God face-to-face in intimacy. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. Not just aware of his presence, but bringing us along to know that actually intimacy of face-to-face relationship with God, it speaks of tremendous intimacy. So is is reconciliation... Possible is the question. God is bringing Esau back, Jacob back to reconcile with Esau. It's part of what's going to happen here. So it's the double camp. Jacob's camp was in God's camp. So first, this indicates that Jacob's on the right path. Secondly, it points to the importance of having our camp in God's camp. When facing our fears, listen carefully. When facing our fears, we will encounter a host of fallen angels. We will be encountering spiritual warfare because the devil's intent is to rob, kill, separate, and destroy. And he's very cunning in how he does that. He wants us at odds with each other, he wants us to not reconcile. And may I say to you, the foundation of our reconciling with one another is because God reconciled us to himself. And from that foundation of what God's done, now we enter into this relationship with him where he's leading us to reconcile, and in so doing, we are going to be facing demonic forces. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole line, Be strong in the Lord. We need our relationship with God to be foundational in our strength and in our motivations to go out and get it right with our brothers, our sisters. Fears will overtake us at times. That's just what happens. But may I say to you, may our faith in God overcome those tendencies. I thought of last week, Laban overtook Jacob, but he didn't overcome Jacob. He overtook him, and Laban was was a menace to Jacob at that time, but he didn't overcome him. Now, I'm, I'm looking forward to this in two Wednesdays. This Wednesday, we're going to be looking at the church in Laodicea, the lukewarm church in Revelation on Wednesday night, the seventh church. And then the following one, which is the 10th week of our studies in Revelation, we're going to take and we're going to look at all the overcoming scriptures. Every church, Jesus said, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, we will be overtaken by many things, fears and all those things, but may God, may our faith in God be that which we overcome, these things that come against us. Now, Warren Wiersbe wrote this, when faith is crowded out by fear, we're prone to start scheming and trusting our own resources. A lady said to Evangelist D.L. Moody, I found a wonderful verse to help me overcome fear. And she quoted Psalm 56.3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. I can give you a better promise, said Moody. And he quoted Isaiah 12.2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. I love it. When I am afraid, I'll trust, yes. But I'm going to trust God and not be afraid. It's wonderful. That's our faith. And both are bookends to what we experience. 2 Corinthians says this, Paul, when I came to Macedonia, I had no rest, but we were troubled every side. This is Paul the Apostle. Outside were conflicts, inside were what? Fears. We're going to have those. Paul wrote to Timothy. Many of you know the scripture well. God has not given us the spirit of what? Fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So he said to Timothy, therefore, stir up the gifts that are in you. Stir it up, man, because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but to boldly operate by faith in the things that he's put into our lives to glorify him and move along this thing called faith in our lives. So number one, it is spiritual. Secondly, it's mental, and it is emotional. Jacob is on his own with himself. We'll notice this. He's sort of trying to figure it out. So he brings this message for Esau. Verse 3. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants I have sent to tell my lord that I might find favor in your sight. Now Jacob, as always, is going to figure it out for himself. That's what's going on. He's going to send his messengers. He's got a plan, which he always did have. It's a plan, first of all, in which he's going to be clear about his intentions. That is so important when we're trying to seek reconciliation. What is your intention? My intention is to reconcile. My intention is to do everything I can to communicate to you, I want to reconcile. I want to get this thing right. Now, it's a plan by which he can appease Esau, by which he can... Esau's anger and vengeance that may still be there may be appeased. So he's trying to figure out on his own here, how can I do that? So he devises a plan by which he might find favor with his brother. And that's a good thing to think this thing through. Now, it's not only to be clear about his intentions, but to communicate humility and respect. Now, let me ask you, how important is that? To communicate humility and respect. So as you look at this, Jacob is not marching in as the heir apparent to the land. Rather, as you read it, he's Esau, my brother. He's Esau, my lord. He's to Jacob, I am Jacob to Esau, I am your servant. So when we think of these problems that we're having now, it is so important to be clear that our intentions are sincere. Secondly, then, to communicate humility and respect for that person or those people's. And it's also a, per, a plan to persuade him with generosity. Persuade him with generosity. And that certainly can't help. Can I hear an amen again? Amen. Pursue reconciliation and do it pers- persuading with generosity toward them. Jacob would seem would be seen not seeking the inheritance or the land. He says, I've got goats, flocks, I've got everything, and I want to give them to you. I want you to know that it's worth it. I have all these things. I'm not looking for anything from you except that we might reconcile. Now, Jacob is going to figure it out for himself, but here's the deal. Jacob can't figure it out this time. He's coming to the end of himself. Messengers return, notice in verse 6, the messengers return to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he is also coming to meet you. And look at he's got 400 men with him. Now, how would you feel? dun, dun, dun you know, he, he's coming, and Jacob doesn't know what his intentions are, and we aren't told. We are not told when this thing happened in Esau's heart to when he saw it. He saw his brother Jacob, he ran to him, he embraced him, he kissed him, and he wept. Something happened in the heart of Esau. We don't know if it was 20 years in the making, if it was a momentary thing where God, he just realized. And how many of you have experienced that? When there's some, and all of a sudden, something happens in your heart that kind of clicks. And you realize, i got to get this right. i got to go do this i got to be thankful for the things that God wants me to be involved with in reconcile, in dealing with anger, in dealing with fears. Jacob then goes about now to adjust his plan. He can't figure it out, so he's going to adjust it. (laughs) We're good at that. So Jacob was greatly afraid, distressed, verse 7, and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into, into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to one company and attacks then the other company which is left will escape so he's now got two camps but it's not him in God's camp it's his own two camps so he's he's trying to adjust the plan so instead of trusting in God's camp he's now got two camps and his plan continues to figure it out here's a wonderful thing that we find now with Jacob Jacob said he prayed how important is that he prayed he knows he's up against things that he can't figure out he doesn't know what to do he's trying to figure it out as he's going he's with himself if you will but he says Jacob said oh God my father the father of Abraham and of God and my father Isaac the Lord who said to me return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you saying, God you said this you said this and yet here it is he's come with 400 men what's going to happen I don't know his prayer is born out of fear but brothers and sisters no, that's great That's great. When we cry out to God in fear, it's a good thing. In working through our fears, in our faith, in our fears. So he does the best thing anyone can do. He turns to God and pray. Do you do that? Do I do that? You see, it's a rescue prayer. And God is great at rescue prayers. He answers so many rescue prayers. How many rescue prayers have you got? I thought of Peter. He says, Jesus, if that's you, beg me to to come out of the boat. What happens? Peter gets out of the boat. Jesus said, come. He gets out of the boat. What happens? He's walking on the water. And all of a sudden, he gets his eyes on the storm and off of Jesus, and he starts to sink. And the greatest rescue prayer ever is three words. Lord, save me. (laughs) Now, let me ask you a question. When you were saved from your sin, what was your prayer? Lord, save me. And says, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and he caught Peter. And when we cry out to God in our fears, in, our, in all the things that are so contrary to us, we don't understand, when we cry out to him, he rescues us through prayer. Oh God, covenant God, the faithful God who keeps his word, the merciful God who does not abandon us to our fears. And the gracious, compassionate God who delivers us from all our fears. That's his prayer right there. That God is covenant God, a faithful God, a merciful God, a compassionate God. Wow. Are we stacked? Are the odds stock, stock, stacked for us or what? So Jacob begin, prays and then he further, now listen, this is important. He further pursues reconciliation. So I say pray on and pursue on. Keep at it. And so he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau's brother. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 you 20 rams, 30 mil. I mean, he's got his stuff. He's, he's ready to unload the bank in order to appease his brother. And he delivered them to the hand of his, of his servants, every drove by itself. So he has three sort of droves. He sends the first one. This is what you say to him. Now, you guys wait. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let him get out there. Let him get out there. And then he sends a second one. Okay, say the same thing. You're bringing all all these riches as generosity. Say, I'm serious. I'm sincere. Then he says, okay, hold on. Third, third, hold on. Okay, now you go. So the first one arrives, and there's Esau. Oh, this is from Esau. Uh, This is from your brother Jacob. He wants to find favor with you. He wants to. And then the second one comes. Same thing. Third one, same thing. Very smart, I think. He's looking for reconciliation and acceptance from Esau. So he's generously sending these things ahead of him to find out the temperature of Esau's heart, find out where he's at. Now, it says there, perhaps he will accept me. Perhaps. You see, we must pursue even though we don't know what's going to happen. We got to pray even though we may not know what's going to happen. Pursuing may not give us peace. We may not have no assurance. We may not see the results that we want, but unless we are pursuing, it will never happen. So I'm saying for us in our nation right now, we need to pursue peace. Pursue reconciliation. And there are several scriptures here that I think I'll go through a few, but not all of them, but they're powerful. All through the scripture you find, pursue peace with all people and holiness. The first one is Psalm 34. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Our nation right now is at war. Jesus said, blessed are the what? Peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You see, the family tradition—tradition tradition is probably a good word—but the family character, nature, is to make peace. When Jesus came into the world, He came as the ultimate peacemaker. He made peace with God, reconciled us through the cross. Matthew five: Blessed are the peacemakers. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be, will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, verse 22, let me get it. I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. That is serious stuff. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in in danger of hellfire. That is serious stuff. Therefore, notice what he says. If you bring your gift to the altar, (laughs) it breaks God's heart. If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, not that you have something, but your brother, there's something going on that's not right. There's something going on that needs needs to be forgiven. So you're there worshiping God. You're at the altar. And God says, hold on a second. Remember Esau? Maybe it's been 20 years. Remember? Go. And he says there, leave your gift there. So leave that there. God knows your heart. He knows you want to worship. Leave that there right now. Worship is not what's going on. What needs to go on is forgiveness and reconciliation. And that must be pursued. And Jesus there is calling us out as believers that this is what we do our worship is only energized and only powerful as we're seeking reconciliation and get things right with our brothers Romans 14:9 therefore let us pursue peace let us pursue the things which make for peace pursue it and the things by which one may edify one another Hebrews chapter 12 pursue peace with all people and and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, this passage has come to my attention so many times. When I see the difficulties in relationships, he says, "Looking carefully, as anyone falls short of what the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many be defiled." Why? The problem is there's not there's not forgiveness, there's not grace for someone. We've fallen short of the grace that we need to have for others because God has that for us. Through the cross and what he accomplished on that cross for us. And in this finally on 1 Peter, I want to read this one. He says, finally, all of you be of one mind. Have compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Jacob is going to be blessed by God. But through wrestling through these things says, for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Again, standout verses in this area. Now, there are so many ways to pursue reconciliation. Probably as many as there are unique Uh, created beings of God they are needed endeavors but without listen, without almighty God's intervention in our hearts to change our hearts these deep divides these heartbreaking histories of horrible hatred These painful pasts and presents, these vicious attacks and atrocities that we've seen in the history of man, these disturbing destruction and death will not be overcome even by good. Don't overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. God needs to get a hold of our hearts. He needs to change, not in our hearts. He needs to intervene through the cross in our hearts to understand what he accomplished for us is so immensely huge compared to anything that's going on here. God reconciled us to himself through the cross. And he's calling us to be reconciling with one another. He has to, inter- without his intervention in our hearts, these things will not be overcome even by good. Maybe, now I, I will say this, there will be a few exceptions. But reconciliation will not be the rule. And I look at what's going on in my heart. I look at what's going on even among us. and The things that we're battling through right now. And I say, Lord, unless you intervene in my heart, I'm going to lose hope. I'm going to lose faith. I'm going to lose the pursuit. We need God, not only individually, but in our nation. That God will turn us back to himself. And that's when things will begin to change. We need a personal encounter with the living, loving, forgiving, redeeming, and reconciling God in the person of Jesus Christ who reconciled us to God by his blood. We are in need once again and again and again, may I say it, and again, the gospel. The gospel. And the gospel is God's news of good news, of reconciliation that he has offered to us and then in us understanding that and receiving that, we pursue it with others and God intervening in those pursuits Changes people's lives forever. Saul of Tarsus is one of a thousand and thousands and ten thousands of ten thousands testimonies of God intervening on the road there in a moment of time. He intervened there and Saul, who hated Christians, who was killing Christians, and he turned him upside down, right side up, and inside out, and right side up. And Paul arose from that blind, because he's learning he was blind. To the love of God. He was blind to the cross of Jesus Christ. He was blind to what God had done for him. And he's thinking all along, well, I'm pretty special to God. And God says, No, you missed it completely. You're 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 persecuting me. Saul says, Who are you? I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Saul was changed. I believe people were praying like crazy because he was persecuting the church at that time but prayers were going up but there Jesus met Saul of Tarsus and let me say this to you, Jesus can meet anyone, anywhere and bring about a change of heart that they rise up from the ground there and they, they realize how blind they really are to God's love and God's power and God's redemption and they receive Christ and everything changes. Would that happen for you? It happened for me. And now, being reconciled. We're calling, God's calling us to a deeper walk with Himself by loving our enemies, by doing good to those who persecute us. And that, my friends, is impossible without the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. Now, a very good thing is about to happen. Reality is, in the midst of his praying and pursuing, he's still fearing for his life. So, Jacob, then we have this, it's personal. Jacob is now alone with God. And I believe that's where these kinds of things happen. It's not between me and someone else and God, it's between me and God. And so he's alone with God. He's crippled by God. And then he is prevails with God. That's the order. So verse 22, he arose that night, took his two wives, two female servants, his 11 sons, crossed over the fort of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and and sent over what he had. He says, it's all, you you go over there. i got to spend some time with God. He's so troubled and so distressed and so afraid. This is Jacob. Jabbok means pouring out. Listen, Jacob is about to be poured out in coming to the end of himself. And so verse 24, then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. This is a wrestling match with God. And listen, God initiated it. (laughs) I love that. God initiated it. This man, capital M, as we'll see, it's, I believe, Jesus Christ, a theophany. And so, verse 25, now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, that is, the angel, the man, didn't prevail against Jacob. He was a tough nut. (laughs) He touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled. Now, let me tell you, I know for a fact that's painful. (laughs) Amen. I mean, there's a lot of pain involved. And God is not going to avoid pain in our lives if it's going to bring us to a place of coming to the end of ourselves. And he does that often. Chastening. No chasing for the present seems joyful, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it works the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been, what, trained by it. When God takes us to task, when God takes us to the woodshed, it may be painful. But let me tell you, he's got our best in mind, our good for his glory. And here it's Painful. And then he listened and he said, Let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I mean, this is Jacob's a tough guy here. So he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob, the conniver. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. I love it. Israel means governed by God or fight with God, it means a prevailing. He now is governed by God. His whole nature and character was changed there as God wrestled him. Now, this had been culminating from 20 years, in fact, his whole life, when he's got the things and he can do it. He's good. He's talented. He can figure things out. But he's gotten to the place right now where God's called him back to the land, back to the place of his home. 20 years later, he's been through so many things. And so the culmination of all that is in a wrestling match with God, and he prevails in the sense that God prevails. What's your name? What's your name? Israel. Governed by God. Now you might think that Jacob sort of beat God at this match. No. Look what Hosea 12 says. The commentary. He says there, He took his brother by the heel in the womb. Who's that? It's Jacob. And in his strength, he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel, capital A, and and he prevailed, God, God, prevailed how? He wept and sought favor from God. The, The greatest place to be is broken, weeping before God. The pouring out of all that I have been stacking up in fears and all those things. And so first, who's he wrestling with? He's wrestling with God. How did he prevail? He wept and sought favor from him. He prevailed with God when he was broken by God. He was brought to the end of himself, crippled in the flesh that God might crown him in the spirit. He broke him in order to bless him, and it's exactly what he wants to do for us. He's no longer the supplanter, the conniver. He's Israel. He's Israel. And I will tell you from personal experience, and I know you would harmonize easily, when God breaks me, it blesses me. When I'm broken before God the end of myself and he becomes my all in all, that's the crowning of a relationship with God and why we love him as we do and why we seek to do what he calls us to do. So he's preserved that penny Peniel. I saw God face-to-face, face, and my life is preserved, verse 31. He crossed over Penennial. his sun rose on him. Now, it's interesting. When we get his first meeting, the sun was setting 20 years earlier, and now this second meeting, face-to-face, face, it's rising because there's a whole new horizon now in Jacob's life in following after God. And so he crosses and meets his family. They go running up to him and say, what happened? He said, they said, what happened, Jacob? He said, no, don't call me Jacob. Call me Israel. Governed by God. I want to close with an article, part of it. Take me a couple minutes to read it, but I put it up on the screen here. Because Billy Graham wrote this in 1993. You'd think he wrote it yesterday. This is what he wrote. We must not underestimate the devastating effects of racism on our world. Daily headlines chronicle its grim toll. Divided nations and families. Devastating wars and human suffering on an unimaginable scale. A constant downward spiral of poverty and hopelessness. Children cruelly broken in body and warped in heart and mind. The list is long. Racism in the world and the church is one of the greatest barriers to world evangelization. Racial and ethnic hatred is a sin, and we need to label it as such. Jesus told his disciples to love your neighbor as yourself. And in reply to the question, who is my neighbor? he responded with a pointed parable about a good Samaritan, a member of a despised race. Racism is a sin precisely because it keeps us from obeying God's command to love our neighbor and because it has its roots in pride and arrogance. Christians who harbor racism in their attitudes and actions are not following their Lord at this point for Christ came to bring reconciliation. Reconciliation between us and God and reconciliation between each other. He came to accept us as we are, whoever we are, from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, Revelation chapter 5, 9. Tragically, too often in the past, evangelical Christians have turned a blind eye to racism or have been willing to stand aside while others take the lead in racial conciliation. This is very, very, very uh, wise, saying it was not our our responsibility. I admit, Billy Graham, I admit, I share that blame. He goes on. As a result, many efforts toward reconciliation in America have lacked a Christian foundation and may not outlive the immediate circumstances that brought them into existence. Our consciences should be stirred to repentance by how far we have fallen short of what God asks us to be as his agents of reconciliation. Racism is not only a social problem, therefore, because racism is a sin. It is also a moral and spiritual issue. Legal and social efforts to obliterate racism obliterate racism, or at least curb its more onerous effects, have a legitimate place. However, only the supernatural love of God can change our hearts in a lasting way and replace hatred and indifference with love and active compassion. He goes on. No other force exists beside the church that can bring people together week after week and deal with their deepest hurts and suspicions. Of all people, Christians should be the most active in reaching out to those of other races instead of accepting the status quo of division and animosity. This, The issues that face us are complex and enormous, and simply wishing they would go away will not solve them. I do not pretend to know the full answer, but let those of us who claim the name of Christ report of our past failures and, rely, and relying on the Holy Spirit demonstrate to a weary and frightened world that Christ indeed has destroyed the barrier, that di- the dividing wall of hostility through the cross by which he put to death the hostility. And you know, we've had, our, our staff have had some very difficult conversations that are needed to try and, and continue to work through these kinds of things with each other. And we need each other so desperately right now. We need to be together and praying and talking and seeking to be the light and salt that God's called us to be as his people. And we who have been reconciled to God are now ambassadors going out into the world and pleading, be reconciled to God. Because when someone's reconciled to God, all these other things begin to happen to change the whole, not only their lives, their family's life, their community's life, their church life, and the nation. And so that's my prayer, and I'm I'm so, I'm burdened, honestly, and I believe many of us are with what's going on in our nation. So would you join me right now as we pray? Father, we thank you again for your word and for your compassion and grace and mercy and patience and all those things. We've hit some of them today in this study. I'm so thankful, Lord, for the voices that are involved and engaged in seeking to speak to our hearts and instruct us, Lord. And mostly I'm thankful for your word, how it is always in that place of relevance. It's always in that place of truth It's always in that place that calls us to you, the author and finish of our faith, where we would find in you the truth by which we should live our lives. So, Lord, we don't want to pass over anything that you said. And there's some difficult things that you've called us to be as Christians. And we cannot do those things except by your presence in our lives, your power in our lives, and, Lord, your promises that are given to us that indeed, indeed, we might be overtaken, but we will not be overcome. So we love you, Jesus. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.